Thank you, Jesus. There are none like you. Lord, we thank you for the truth of this song this morning that we've been able to stand and sing the truth of who Jesus is. There was no other sacrifice they could ever have paid the price to set us free. We thank you, Jesus, that you were faithful. You walked a perfect and blameless life. You gave up that life upon the cross that we could know your righteousness as a gift that we receive. That it was never going to be left down to whether we were good enough, behaved properly, did the right things. But it was to accept the gift of righteousness that you have given us. That we this morning can stand in this place knowing that we are in right standing with God the Father. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the price you paid. We thank you that because you paid the price, we have been set free. The Bible says those that the Son sets free are free indeed. So we honor you this morning, Jesus. We thank you for our freedom. We thank you that we could stand free and worship you today. And we glorify you. We honor you. There are, there is none like you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Grab a seat. Isn't it good to worship God? Good. I want to try what Jumo did last week because about three people said it was good to worship God. Is it good to worship God? That's about 20%. Is that what he did? If you were here last week, you'll understand what I'm saying. It's really cool. I want to speak to you this morning about passion. And uh, I don't know if you know me, but I'm a passionate person. Many of you are probably passionate people about certain things. But I want to speak to you this morning about passion for the Lord. But before I speak about that, I want to ask a question. I wonder today how you feel your relationship with God is truly going. If we were to allow God this morning just to peel back the layers of our hearts, I wonder how much trust and hope we really truly have in the person of Jesus Christ. I wonder if our hope is actually in our trust is somewhere else this morning. Perhaps our trust or our hope is in our own abilities. In other words, I'm capable of providing the answers I need in life. I don't really need to put my trust or my hope completely in the person of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this morning your hope and trust is in the church. When I say the church, I'm talking about the gathered church. Maybe your relationship with the Lord is based on what you get out of Sunday or life group or a youth small group. Heaven forbid, I hope it's not what you get out of the preaching. It'll be more than that. One of the things that I find tough is to watch people who have been Christians for years have a crisis or have a trial and begin somehow to lose their way. They're left with many questions all of a sudden about their faith. Go through a struggle, go through something difficult. Now, now I've got questions about who Jesus really is. Did I, did I really know Jesus or did I just have a concept of who Jesus is? Did I truly have a relationship of substance with him or did I really only have an intellectual understanding of the Savior? Did I have a religious respect for him but never really an encounter with him that changed my life forever? Have I been living a Christian lifestyle, attending church, behaving myself, 
even raising my family in church, but really not head over heels in love with and grateful to Jesus that changed everything for me? Have I had a sense of this is right to follow Jesus? It's right to attend church, but not had a passion that would sustain my faith through whatever comes my way. See, passion is what sustains my pursuit of the person of Jesus Christ. But you don't get passion that remains through a concept of Jesus. It only comes through a personal relationship and encounter with him. That's why we know as church leaders, and many of you as parents understand this, the next generation need their own encounter with God that would ignite a passion for Jesus Christ in their hearts. They don't just need a sense of knowing about Jesus. They don't just need to understand, well, Jesus is a good guy. No, no, they need an encounter with God that would cause a passion to rise in their hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ that would go on to sustain their faith throughout their lifetime. They don't just need to know Jesus because my family went to church. We each need a personal passion. Passion is what causes me to pursue God on a daily basis, year after year. Passion is not just a young person's priority. It's the priority of every follower of Jesus Christ. Passion keeps us on our, in our purpose. Passion for the Lord keeps people young. Have you noticed that? It keeps them on the front foot of worship and service. I was at our missions prayer meeting on this Thursday night just gone. And I was thrilled. And I say this not to be uh, putting anybody down, but to see how many of our older people, not looking at anybody, turn up to pray, and they pray with passion and energy, and they get fired up. Why is that? Passion. In fact, the creative force behind all great art, drama, music, architecture, writing, is passion. Great things are accomplished in life because of passion. Great initiatives are sustained in life because of passion. People get going even when the going gets tough because of passion. Passion energizes life. Passion makes the impossible possible. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning. Ever notice that? I'm going to do something with my life today. I'm going to make my life count today. It's driven by passion. Without passion, life becomes boring, becomes monotonous. It can become just routine. And if we're not aware of it, become dull and mundane. God created us to have emotions. Have you noticed that? And passion is one of those, and I believe it's a key to sustaining the Christian life. I believe God wants us to be passionate about Him and live lives that are passionate for Him. Passion has mobilized armies into action. It's caused people to boldly explore places where no one has gone before. Someone likes that line, don't they? Passion causes scientists to stay up in the, to the early hours of the morning to try and find a cure for the dreaded disease. Passion is what takes a good athlete and turns them into a great athlete. We need passion in our lives. Is anyone getting passionate about needing passion? Hang in there. Mark 12, 28 to 30. You know this well. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is, is, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And the question here is actually huge for us to grasp. From the, the heart of the Pharisee who's asking the question, is he not asking Jesus, what is the most important thing in the Bible? What is the most important thing? And Jesus answers him, well, this has been mentioned many times. I want you to love me passionately. Nothing else in life matters but how much you love me. I want you to be all in. I can hear Jesus. I'm just putting it in today's language, but I want you to be all in in the way that you love me. Don't hold back in your relationship with me. This is an all-out passion to love God. With everything you have, love God. Does that not speak of passion? Love God with everything you have. It's Jesus that said it. Look at how the message paraphrases it. One of the religion scholars came up, hearing the lively exchanges of question and answer, and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers, he put in his question, which, which is most important of all the commandments? Jesus said, the first in importance is, now listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Interesting paraphrase. Now we can circle the word passion here. Because you wonder why I'm using it. Because that word in Greek means heart. The word passion in the Greek, interchange it, means heart. Heart means passion. So what is God saying? God is saying, I want you to put some muscle into the way that you love me. Put some energy into it. Put some emotion into your relationship with me. Don't be wimpy. Don't be half-hearted. But give it all you've got in the way that you love me. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, You've got to go at it with passion. You've got to give it some oomph. You've got to give it some effort, some spark, some enthusiasm. I want you to live passionately. I don't want you to be a boring, mundane Christian. Going through the routine, the religion, the act. I want you to be passionately in love with me. And then out of that will flow everything else. Passion for him. The truth is, throughout the Bible, it tells us to live passionately. And to change the word, the word for heart, go with passion. Serve and obey with passion. Give with passion. Trust God passionately. Then as if you didn't already get the message, have a look at Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, I want you to do everything passionately when it comes to loving me when it comes to serving me, and when it comes to living for me. So the way vision will bear fruit for us as a church in the future is when we remain as children of God full of passion for him, not just serving him out of duty, not just serving him out of a good idea or it's the right thing to do, but out of passion. Passion is what's going to sustain vision going forward. Now remember the word heart in the Greek can be translated passion. So love the Lord your God with all your Passion. It's a sad fact, though, that in the world we live in today, we're given permission to be passionate about many things, aren't we? In fact, the world responds to passion. But when it comes to faith or belief, you've got to keep that passion to yourself. You can express your passion for God inside the the four walls of the church. Be my guest. Get into church where there's another group of nutcases and worship God. Be as passionate as you like, but don't you dare bring it out into the marketplace. You keep your faith in Jesus Christ to yourself. The world's happy for for people to be passionate about politics or passionate about sports, but don't you dare bring your faith now into my world and into our sphere. 
See, the world is asking the church to be quiet and not be passionate. Keep your passion for Jesus to yourself. But we know, don't we, we were never to hide our light under a bowl. We were to sit it on a lampstand so that everybody can see it shine. However, the world is now handing believers a bowl called We Don't Want to Know and asking followers of Jesus to hide their light. In other words, squash their passion in public. Now, interesting, hold on to that thought. If you type into Amazon the phrase, a passion for, you'll find a couple of hundred books with that title. I want to give you just a few books that people have written about their passion. A passion for birds. A passion for books. A passion for cactus, but I think it should say cacti, right? A passion for chocolate. That one's understandable. A passion for fashion. That person rhymed it. A passion for fishing, flying, gardening, golf, hunting. Some weirdo had a passion for mushrooms. <laughs> for needlepoint, pasta, ponies, potatoes, roses, shoes. Some random had a passion for steam. Someone is clearly passionate. No, I said steam, not Steve. Steam. <laughs> a passion for steam. They wrote a book on it. You see, in our culture today, it's okay to be passionate about anything and everything just not about your religion, your faith, or the God that you serve. I can go to a sports match, political rally, or a concert and shout my head off. Do it with passion. I can get excited and even lose my voice from yelling. Have you noticed that? No one thinks I'm crazy at a sports arena or these days a political rally. You can shout and be as loud as you like. No one thinks you're crazy. I can jump around and wave my hands in the air like I just don't care and no one else cares either. But if I were to do that at church, even in the safety of gathering with other believers, people might think I'm nuts. People might think I'm just a little bit crazy. See, because the world has tried to condition God's people that our faith is now private and sacred and is not to be shared. That's the world's view and stance on faith. But we cannot let the world's view begin to dictate how we will function and operate when we gather together as the church of Jesus Christ. Our faith isn't sacred and meant to be private. It is a community of faith that we join together, our faith together in community, and we will worship the Lord. We will express our passion. Not only that, if we can get it right in here, perhaps it will spill out into the rest of our lives. Maybe, just maybe. But if I can't be passionate in here about who Jesus is, how will I ever be passionate out there? That's not a challenge for you, by the way. That's a great challenge for me. I've got to get to the point where I'm so passionate in here, it'll spill over in the rest of my life. See, my external response should be an overflow of my passion or heart for Jesus. So I will lift my hands and surrender and worship to God when I'm in church. And I won't be quiet if a situation calls for me to express that I have a hope in Jesus Christ when I'm out doing life with people who need to know. I'm not going to be afraid of the response of people. They might want to tell you, hide your light, keep it to yourself, don't share your faith, put it under a bowl. But I'll tell you this, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let my faith express itself when it's appropriate to do so. I'm not going to say, well, that part of my life, no one cares about it. Listen, if you won't accept me as a Christian, you won't accept me. 
I'm not just going to let you accept every other part of my life because who I am is a follower of Jesus. You either accept it or you don't, but I'm not going to hide it to make you feel comfortable. Are you hearing my heart? Passion. Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Notice the word, circle it if you want, the word keep. Keep. Notice that it's not just an automatic response. It's a choice. It's a discipline. It's something for us to maintain. It's something we must choose to do. Many of the things we face in life are distracting us from keeping our passion alive for God. Let me put it this way. You've ever noticed how quickly a helium balloon loses its ability to to fly? The helium just dissipates. Guess what? Our passion can do that also. And yet, passion is a key to keeping our purpose to love God with everything we have alive. When you first become a believer, it's like filling them with helium, isn't it? It's the most exciting thing in the world. Why is it exciting when you become a Christian? Because you've just woken up and realized you got the most incredible deal that anybody could ever get. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Wow. You've just realized that Jesus Christ paid the price for all of your mistakes so you could now live in eternity with him. That's a pretty good deal. You realize you were pretty filthy and messed up and broken, but Jesus Christ took it all upon himself on the cross so you could be redeemed and made whole. That's a pretty incredible deal that Jesus did. And when someone gets saved under the revelation of who Jesus is, they're filled with joy and passion. They're the most passionate people in the world because they know what Jesus Christ has done for them. They were heading to death and now they have life. That's a deal. And so there's this wow about a new believer. Wow, look what I have encountered. I've encountered a revelation of the Savior and he's real and now he lives in me. But as time goes on, if we're not careful, we can lose our enthusiasm and passion. How does it happen? Well, there are certain things that I believe kill passion. Actually, there are a lot of them, but I had to get it down to four, so I had to choose four for you this morning. I had about 200, but I got it down to four, because there are certain things that will kill followers of Jesus' passion. I want us to look at some of them this morning, because I think we've got to be aware that the devil may not be able to steal your faith. He may not be able to steal the truth of who Jesus is out of your heart, but if he can steal your passion, he can steal the life out of you and the effect of your ministry. Many people think they've lost their faith. Remember what I started with the questions at the start. Many people think somehow they've lost their faith or they've lost their hope and their trust in Jesus. Somehow I've lost my way, bored and tired of church. But you know what? Maybe they haven't lost their trust and hope, but they've lost their passion. Passion is the fuel to the engine room of your faith. And many can find themselves suddenly running on empty. You can be, have been a Christian for 30 years. And somehow now I'm beginning to lose my passion. I feel this is important for us to get in our hearts. Passion is what will fuel you to continue to serve God from the day you get saved to the day you go to eternity with him. Passion. It's really important we don't lose it. Here's the first thing that can kill your passion. An unbalanced calendar. An unbalanced calendar. In a room this size, there will be some that work too much. And there'll be some that don't work enough. Now, if you're overworked, you can lose your passion. But also, if you're underworked, you can get bored and easily lose your way and lose your passion also. 
This is really important, this point, because it speaks to me, something I've got to be aware of, but some of you will work too much, and you're too busy, and you give out far too often. Now, I'm not telling you to stop serving. I'm not telling you to stop loving. I'm just telling you about a balance. Psalm 127, verse 2, New Living Translation, says it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. There's something in the balance of finding rest in God that is so important. We, we can serve God in a way that is frenzied, where we run from one event to the next. We can do it in our workplace too. We just run from one meeting to the next to the next, and we make ourselves so busy that all of a sudden I've stopped connecting with Jesus Christ. I've stopped allowing the Holy Spirit to refresh me. And some of us need to spend some time on refreshing our souls. Notice I said some of us. I'm speaking to myself. Time, finding things that refresh our soul and refresh our spirit. Don't just fill your calendar up from start to finish and thinking, this is good. I'm busy. I'm doing lots for the Lord. I'm serving in a huge... We've got to get a balance in what we do because it comes out of my relationship with God, not what I do for God. So I have to have a balance on spending time with him. Busy people need to find time to refresh themselves. Always working, always serving, always looking out for others. They're all good things, aren't they? Can end in what Rick Warren calls, this is his point, compassion fatigue. In other words, in the end, I got so busy giving out that I ended up tired in compassion. No longer did I care for people. And in the end, ultimately, I stopped caring for God. Compassion fatigue overworked. I just feel just to stop for a moment. So I haven't got point one through five of how you turn this around. All I'm saying is I know in my life, I can very quickly get caught into works where I'm just busy doing, doing, doing. And the one thing that I have to fight for is time with God on purpose, where I actually carve out time to spend in his presence. For some of you, it might be the other way around, but for me, it's that way around. I can just get so busy doing, 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 but I've got to get to the point where I can be with him because out of that place, God's the one that will fill my passion for him. That's the first one. Here's the second point. An unconfessed sin can steal your passion. This is a big one. There's something we don't really like to speak about much. What I've realized is few things rob us of joy or confidence in God quicker than guilt and shame. Guilt and shame will steal your passion faster than anything else. We often try and rationalize sin. In other words, it's not that big of a deal. Probably everybody else is doing it too. But subconsciously, it eats away at us. Whenever it gets quiet, it pops into our mind. Can't seem to shake it. It's much like how I function with hearing from God. I get a thought and I can't shake it. I know God's speaking to me. I find sins a little bit this way. I can't kind of shake the fact that I've done something wrong. Right now, even as I talk about it, we can find that it, sin can pop into our minds so easily. Here's what I know about guilt. We cannot feel excitement and enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. They cannot coexist. Guilt steals your passion. If it remains that way, in the end, you can end up far from God. Look at Psalm 38, verse 4 to 6. My guilt, hear the psalmist, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. 
I am bowed down and brought very low all day long. I go about mourning. See, we're not designed to carry around guilt. It's not God's intention for us. That's why God sent Jesus. Now, here's the good news. We've already spoken about it this morning. It's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. So he could say to us, I want to offer you this gift of freedom from guilt and freedom from condemnation. But for some reason, as Christians, we're quite okay to walk around feeling guilty and feeling ashamed for the things we've done wrong and in some respects unwilling to repent, unwilling to ask God for his freedom, unwilling to ask God to forgive us for the things that we've done wrong. So how do I deal with guilt? Well, Jesus has actually already done everything that needs to be done to deal with guilt. But we have a part. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's his promise to us. If you will confess. To confess simply means to agree with God. That's what confess means. I agree with God. You just have to say to God, guess what? I agree with you. It is a sin. What I have done was wrong. We don't attempt to justify it. You simply agree with God that it is a sin. Lord, I want to live the kind of life you have for me. But here's what we like to do. It's not a sin. Surely it's okay. Even if a lot of other people are doing it, doesn't make it okay. But we like to reason sin. And then in the end, we'll end up carrying guilt and shame for far too long. Confess simply means, God, you know what? I give up. I agree this is a sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. And the guilt and the shame are dealt with. But we, we will carry stuff for weeks or years And we won't deal with it when God made it simple for us by sending Jesus. Just acknowledge and confess that what you are doing is sinful and let go of guilt and condemnation. Don't wait. Confess it. Deal with it. Even now, even in this moment, if there's something that's been bothering you for some time, you've you've carried the guilt and you've carried shame, Why hold on to it any longer? Haven't we gathered because we believe in Jesus Christ and the power of the cross and his blood to make us white as snow? Don't we believe the power of what Jesus has done for us? Don't carry it any longer. It's not a big deal. God made it simple. Confess. In other words, agree with him even now. God, I agree that what I've been doing is sin and I ask for your forgiveness and I leave guilt and shame with you. I thought that might get an amen. I thought you'd be excited about unconfessed sin. We shouldn't carry guilt for any length of time. That's my personal belief. If we know in our hearts we've done something wrong and the warning light of guilt is going off in our heart, deal with it straight away because unconfessed sin will kill your passion. will kill it. Here's the, what I'm up to, three. Unresolved conflict will kill your passion. Conflict drains passion right out of your life. Some days we start the day, don't we, on a high? Ever had days like this? Thinking to yourself, today is going to be a great day. I'm in for a great day. I just know it. I've just got a feeling about this day. Most of you woke up with that this morning. This is going to be a great day. I'm so excited. What a day. The sun's shining. The birds are singing. And then you have a fight with your wife or your husband or have an altercation with your children. And how quickly does the joy Go out of your day. No, no one else has that. It's just me and Ange. 
that have that. But the joy in conflict, it disappears so quick. You can start your day, you can be in your day, you can be full of joy, and then you have conflict with someone, and all of a sudden the zip goes out of your, your step almost instantly. It's like letting the air out of your tires. I don't think you're being very honest this morning, church. I think some of you are staying quiet. <laughs> conflict is not something we can control. It's a part of the life we live. It's a part of living with people. It's the world we're in, isn't it? It's full of conflict. You just have to look at the world we're in. No, there's conflict. But there are three emotions to protect yourself against in conflict. So you can't control the other person, but you can control your emotions. The three emotions that kill your passion through unresolved conflict are resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. Job 5 verse 2, New New Living Translation. Surely resentment destroys the fool, and jealousy kills the simple. Job 18 verse 4, the first part. You who tear yourself to pieces... In your anger. See, when it comes to resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger, we have to make a decision to let it go. Living with resentment, living with jealousy, living with prolonged anger will eat away at you and will steal your passion in your life. It'll steal so many things from you. It'll steal your ability to trust people and your ability to trust God. And it will have an impact on your relationship with Him because you're holding on to resentment. I'm not letting this go. I resent that person for what they've done. I'm jealous that they seem to be walking in freedom and it's not affecting them, but what they've done is affecting me and it's affecting my life. And I'm going to hold on to anger because I'm fuming with that person or those people. That's why forgiveness is vital. We must forgive. People carry around unresolved conflict for many, many years. I know this to be true in my own life and it destroys passion. That's why forgiveness is so important. Is that letting them off the hook though, Carl? See, if, if, you, if I forgive this person or these people, I'm letting them off the hook. Here's what I understand. I'm taking them off my hook and putting them on God's hook. I'd much rather they wanted his hook than on mine. I'd much rather God dealt with them than I tried to deal with them for, and the consequences of it for the rest of my life. It's saying to God, God, I can't handle this anymore. I forgive them now. God, you deal with them. Unforgiveness, I promise you, will kill your passion every time. Because unforgiveness consumes our thoughts and then dictates our actions. And it restricts, as I've said, our ability to trust God and trust others. And it will kill your passion. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. I don't remember the last time I felt like forgiving someone. I didn't just wake up one day and decide, I feel like forgiving them today. Forgiveness is a choice that we must make. It's a principle that we need to apply in our lives as followers of Jesus that he outlined for us in his word. Forgiveness sets you free. Not them, you. It puts them in God's hands. It says to God, God, I can't work this out. But guess what? You can. And it releases the burden from your life that you might get on and serve God with renewed passion. It'll help you to trust people and trust God. Okay, the fourth thing, an isolated faith will kill your passion. Perhaps you're not spending enough time with people who love Jesus and are passionate about him. Maybe, just maybe, the company you are keeping is unbalanced and you need to spend some time surrounded by those who love you and love Jesus with all their hearts. Now, I am not telling you to abandon your friends. Not at all. I believe you're called to let your light shine and be a witness. I'm just saying 
How about a balance? We were created to be in community of faith together. Well, the other way to put it is we were created to be in God's family, so why would we not spend time with other sons and daughters of God? We need to be around them. We were created for relationship with each other. Here's some common sense from the Bible, because mine's probably not that good, but the Bible's got some good common sense. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10, says it this way, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We were never created to isolate ourselves from other Christians. You cannot have a passionate faith and sustain it on your own in isolation. As a church leader, having served in various ministries now throughout the life of this church, I've seen a lot of people who've continued on in their passion for God and other people who've somehow lost their passion. And it's sad to watch. Those that lose their passion for God, there's often a predictable pattern. You can see it the same way almost every time. I'll tell you where the pattern begins. The first thing that happens is the person stops coming to church. I'm not talking about the ritual of coming to church. I'm talking about they draw back from relationships of being around other believers. Now, if you want to link that to something, you can almost guarantee you can link that to unconfessed sin. I'm just saying I don't have time to go into it today. If I had time, I would link it back for you. But we often draw away because of guilt and shame and condemnation. All of a sudden, we're isolating ourselves. The two points can and don't always, but can go hand in hand. There are a lot of reasons we tell ourselves that distance is okay. Maybe it's summer. Ah, it's really nice weather. I'll listen to the podcast. Now we can get it online. I don't have to go to church. I can just listen. I've got other things to do anyway. I'll catch up on it some other time. I'll get back to it soon. I'll just take a wee break. But whatever the reason you start not spending time with other people, you start to lose your desire and passion for God very, very quickly. The next thing that always happens is your heart starts then to turn cold because now you start to feel far from God as if God did something wrong, as if it's God's fault that I no longer feel his presence. See, God didn't, God, maybe God isn't real after all. Your heart begins to become cold. You start to feel like God is far from you. What you really need is to be around other people who can warm up the love that you have for God in your life. It's a need in all of us, not some of us, all of us, to be around other people who have a passion for God. God's designed it that way. I haven't. It's not just a good idea of church leaders because they want a big crowd. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got everything to do with how God designed it to be, that we would live in Christian community and his family together. Iron sharpens iron as one brother sharpens another. There are many scriptures that talk about why it is important to be together with other believers. I've seen people isolated by choice. They've they've separated themselves for a season and still are not back in church. It's in our own family. Four things that kill passion. And yet, as I said, there are many more. Unbalanced calendar, unconfessed sin, unresolved conflict and isolated faith. Can I have the worship team come back and just join me as I come towards the end? Do you know what I think one of the worst mistakes that Christians make? I mean, I could list off a whole lot of sins right now and we could try and decide which one we think is the most serious of all sins. But that would be pointless because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But here's one of the worst mistakes I think Christians can make and God tells us about it in Revelation chapter 3. He says it's lukewarmness. 
In other words, no passion. It's not me saying it. It's what God has said. God is just one of the things in my life. I have my social life, my career life, my sexual life, my family life. And over here, I have a little piece of the pie called church and my relationship with God. That's not how God planned it. That's not what God wants from his sons and daughters. In Revelation 3, it talks about this idea that we're lukewarm, and God says it this way. Now, I'm trying to help you understand it. How dare you? I love you this much. I love you passionately. I made you. I created you, planned you, purposed you, saved you, have a place for you in heaven. And you would treat that with half-hearted indifference, saying, excuse me, God, but there's something better on TV. There's something else I've got to do. There's other things that have just become important for this season of my life. I feel the challenge in my own heart. It's not what God wants because God loves us passionately and he wants passionate people to love him in return. He says, I'd rather have you hot or cold, not in between. In fact, if we were to be brutal, God says lukewarmness makes me sick to the stomach. The scripture goes on to say, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He's not looking for lukewarm. I'm not talking about ticking the box of church attendance enough and that shows that I'm doing the right thing. I'm talking about a relationship with God where you passionately love Him you've carved out time for him. Your calendar reflects your love for Jesus Christ. There's a passion that goes with it. C.S. Lewis, if you don't like the way I've put it, let's hear what C.S. Lewis has to say. He says, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Moderately important? If Jesus is God and he died and loved you that much, you owe him the rest of your life, every spare minute of it. If he didn't, then go home and live a self-centered life himself, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It either deserves your entire life or nothing at all. C.S. Lewis. Now, I know I'm in a room of people who understand that, but it's so easy for things to come to kill our passion. And as I was preparing this, I felt so much like we've, we sometimes miss where the enemy is working because we think that he's trying to steal our relationship with Jesus. And I get a feeling that what he's starting to do and trying to do is just steal your passion for Christ, where he just immobilizes your faith. He causes you to sit. And I even think the world right now and the vehicle of the world is saying to the church, be quiet, zip it. Don't say anything about Jesus. We don't want to hear from you. The world is saying, just hide your light under a bowl. And the devil's trying to get the culture of the world to infiltrate the church, but it was never meant to be that way around. The culture of God's kingdom and his church was meant to infiltrate the world. And it's our job to stand in resistance to what the world would say. The world will say, be quiet, but I say, tell them who Jesus is. Live a life that expresses your love and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it out. Get the word out. But it starts in here with us today. How passionate can we get? Or am I going to be rigid? I don't need to express my faith. And I'll tell you what, heaven will not be a quiet place. Heaven will not be a sit and just listen to the word being preached and judge whether it's good or not good. Heaven will be a raucous place full of people who will passionately praise and worship God as they begin to get a revelation of who God really is. 
See, I know it's difficult on earth because we only see in part. We don't have a perspective of God. But when we're in heaven, we're going to continue to get revelation of who God is. We won't be able to stay quiet anymore. But I want to start that process here on the earth. When there's something I can agree with, I want to be excited about it. When I sing a worship song that's full of truth, I want to be willing to express my passion outwardly, not just hold it within because people have told me to do so. Can we stand as we pray? Lord, we thank you that you have called us to an incredible life and abundant life. And Lord, once in every heart that's here, you ignited the flame of passion in our hearts when we were realized who Jesus was, when we came to the place of understanding that he paid the price for every single one of us. It's like the the tired yawn of our life disappeared and a passion began to be ignited within our hearts. Apathy in life disappeared. Now I had something to live for. Now I had a purpose I never knew I had before. And there was a passion that started in our hearts. Father, right now we pray, do it again. Like the passion in our hearts again. Father, ignite again our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let it burn brightly in our hearts because the world needs to know there is a Savior who died for them. But Lord, it starts with a passion in our hearts. If you're confident enough, courage, have enough courage, would you lift your hands? It deserves a response this morning because none of us are passionate enough yet because the place isn't full. Now hear my heart on that. Jesus, fill us. Holy Spirit, come right now and touch our hearts with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Do it again, God. Ignite a passion for the lost. Ignite a passion for you in our hearts. Let the overflow of our hearts be an expression of love for Jesus Christ. Would you fill us right now, Holy Spirit, with a reignited passion in Jesus' name. Lord, fill us with hunger today, that we would hunger for your presence. Lord, that your word would come alive again as we read it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, do a work in our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.